Welcome back for season three of the Experience Matters podcast powered by Arise Virtual Solutions. This show is custom made for those who care deeply about customers. Each episode will awaken your curiosity through fresh perspectives, inspire you through many of the world's most talented experienced designers, and challenge you with new ideas proven to activate loyalty. We have just what you need to be there. Be aware and be essential for your customers. And now for your host, Nate Brown. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Experience Matters podcast. I'm your host, Nate Brown, and I've got somebody awesome with us today. It is Aaron Eden, who is the Principal Business Systems Analyst at Intuit. Hello, Aaron. Nate, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much for jumping on uh, Intuit. Incredible, legendary brand, and you are a legendary person in that brand. So this is going to be a great episode. Let's jump right in. So, Aaron, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? So uh, I I always like to introduce myself starting with my why. Uh, my, my why is to help others to continuously innovate so that they can make a massive impact in their own lives and the lives of those people around them. Uh, my career actually went from uh, software development, uh, data warehousing, ETL, web development, that kind of stuff, um, into uh, business systems analyst work, um, primarily around data and those kinds of things. And then into product management, uh, actually inside of HR, which is kind of a an, was an interesting tour. Um, yeah. And then uh, started my own innovation consulting company um, nice. that for six or seven years. Uh, wow. And then I'm actually back at Intuit again um, as a, uh, a a business systems analyst again. Um, so sort of come come full circle. Uh, so lots of. Lots of time, uh, both inside large organizations, outside lar- large organizations, and then with my consulting company, um, helping large enterprises around the world um, innovate more effectively as well. So, um, very it's been a it's been a wild ride, uh, and I'm I'm grateful to be where I am. A long and winding path with lots of learning along the way. So that's fascinating. So we always ask Aaron what what sucked you into CX, but given your why comment, it seems pretty obvious now to me. <laughs> yes, like uh, everybody's in CX, so uh, you know Ooh, I was in that. I was in CX whether I wanted it or not. No, but um, in 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 seriousness, um, when uh, when I was in some of my uh, data warehousing ETL roles um, as as a business systems analyst, um, I started learning about product management techniques. Um, and that was actually around the time that I became uh, an innovation catalyst inside of Intuit. Um, and so I loved it. I absolutely loved uh, helping others to, to innovate. I, I was performing really well because I was applying those tech, the product management um, techniques in my BSA role. And so uh, I kept asking my mentors, like, I love doing this innovation work. How do I do more of it? How do I do more mm-hmm. of it? And so uh, my mentors were like, well, you should you should move into product management. You'll get to do lots more innovation work, uh, learn from yeah. customers, et cetera. I, I got into, into a, a product management role inside of HR, helping employees to develop their careers inside the company. Um, Amazing. And I loved it, and it was awesome, and I got to do more of this kind of work, but it still just wasn't enough. Um, and so, uh, I, I, I helped with, with 
with uh, a few other innovation catalysts, uh, we created this program inside Intuit called the Lean Start-In, where basically uh, our goal was to create 100 startups inside Intuit in 100 days. Um, and so over the course of a, of a summer where my wife almost divorced me because I was traveling so much, uh, we went to 10 different Intuit sites and tried to launch 10, 10 new new teams in each of those different sites. Um, and that um, that work ended up driving about $100 million worth of business impact for Intuit, boosted um, promoter scores on multiple products, employee engagement scores were boosted as a result of it. And so I was doing some public speaking about that, about that work and about the other things that were going on inside of Intuit. I kept having other companies at these conferences and places go like, hey, can will you help us do that? That's really amazing. Um, and that wow. was the time where I left, left into it and started doing innovation consulting. So the, the short answer is like, I just fell in love with doing this kind of innovation work um, and kept asking my mentors, how do I get to do more? And it just continued to sort of pull me in that direction. Um, whether you, whether it's, you know, product management or, or, you know, is straight up CX kind of work. Um, the, the mindsets and the behaviors and the techniques and those kinds of things are, are consistent regardless of that, of that official, you know, CX title. Well, Aaron, I mean, th this is a very worthy rabbit hole. I feel like we need to explore this a little bit. I mean, what a, what a fascinating thing that you led there. I mean, I, I was, I was inside of an organization at one point that, uh, had everybody go through some Lean Sigma training and they, they got on this innovation kick where they're like, okay, everybody go and, and make a bunch of ideas. And, and you can imagine what that, I mean, it generated chaos. And so we, we did not have the outcomes that you're talking about here, Aaron. So you got to help me out here. When you introduce this amazing Gregorius concept of, of, of having all these little SWAT teams, these innovation teams be generated from, from these Intuit sites how did you do that in a way that produced these meaningful results? So it was it was a couple of different things. Um, it was it was primarily focused on experimentation, um, and so it was you know uh, in a lot of cases organizations get sucked into the like how do we generate a, a ton of new ideas, um, and 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 that is exactly what you just described. It, it on its own without the rest of it creates a lot of chaos because now yeah. we've got these ideas that some of them are moving forward and some of them are not. Um, but it actually, in some cases can actually feel overwhelming. It's like, Oh my God, like there's so much, how do we focus on these things? The exactly. lean starting was really focused on was, was rapid experimentation. So how do we, how do we, how do we take an existing opportunity that somebody's identified in the organization and then spend three days together learning how to experiment more effectively on those projects. So it was, it was working, not just training, but it was actually working on those projects together as a team. And then we were, we, we were fortunate that the senior leadership team was extremely supportive. Like literally the CEO came as a judge to one of the events. So we would set it up so that wow. the executive teams would come in at the end of the three days and they, we called them the chief scientists. Um, so they weren't judging the quality of the ideas. They were judging the quality of the experiments. They were judging how the teams wow. behaved over those three days. And did they actually drive impact together? Um, and so everybody knew from, from beginning to end of the process that the focus was on experiments, experiments that generate real evidence that helps us either kill this idea or keep going with it. 
Um, and so, you know, the, as an example, one one of the one of the projects that drove significant business impact was um, back in those days. You've got QuickBooks, um, the different editions of QuickBooks, QuickBooks Pro, QuickBooks, etc., um, which which are sold in single user licenses. So I go yep. buy one license for my company. The enterprise editions of QuickBooks at that point in time were sold in five user license packs. You had to buy five users for it. Um, and and though there's a pretty significant price jump from the pro editions up, to, it's like a 10x price jump or something like that. It's, it's pretty big. And so there was always this belief inside the organization that uh, that if we did single user licensing, that actually we'd sell more. Um, and this was an idea that was brought in by one of the sales teams. The problem is, is that there's also the fear inside the organization that switching to single user licenses when you've already been selling five is going to screw things up. <laughs> you're you're going to have a bunch of people that, that bought five that want to downgrade down to one or two or something like that. So over the course of the three days, the teams um, literally uh, would would be interacting with customers systems uh whatever it was siebel or salesforce at that point in time weren't set up to sell single user licenses um and so they found some internal coupon codes that they could use to basically discount it down and they would sell very small scale they would they would sell the customer a single user license to quickbooks enterprise by giving them the five user pack and discounting it down to the same price that a single user license should be wow um and so the customer got what they were promised, um, and very quickly the team learned that uh, that the worry that customers would want to downgrade was true, and so they had a percentage of how many customers wanted to downgrade from their experiments. Yeah. They learned that there were a lot of customers that actually wanted to jump from pro to enterprise, but the pricing was okay. too much, and they got another chance. Wanted to upgrade, right? And the combination of those two was approximately a 10% business boost. Um, so, so you take the positive and the negative and the net was, was still net positive. Um, and so that's incredible. Very quickly, the team had evidence that said we should switch to single user license. Uh, and so, I mean, not a significant lift to get that put in place. It's not a big deal. You change some SKUs, you change codes, it's licensing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so as an example, like, um, it's really focused on the, like, proving that you should or should not do this thing um, and then being able to you get enough evidence that you can create some traction as a organization that actually can be done. I mean, it sure feels like to me, Aaron, in, in order to make something like that even possible, and what, what an audacious thing. It takes tremendous courage to be able to navigate to that outcome and the, the culture has to be there in order for that to be possible. So, I mean, it, inside of Intuit, we have we have this remarkable culture, which is really defined by this this philosophy that I've been reading about for a while now. Is this idea of design for delight, and, and as you talk about the rapid experimentation and and uh, the these executives who are giving bandwidth and freedom to innovate and and acting as these chief scientists, putting on that other hat to really be able to to isolate the capabilities in these really innovative areas. I mean, help us to understand how Design for Delight has made some of this possible. Yeah. Yeah. So let me take just a little bit of a step back and and describe it. I've already described one of the yeah. principles, which is, which is rapid experimentation with customers. Um, so the, 
design for delight basically breaks into three key principles. So the fir first is deep customer empathy. And so that's uh, literally walking a mile in your customer's shoes, um, understanding from an emotional perspective um, how your customers uh, are impacted by whatever pain they're experiencing or thing that you're going after resolving. Um, getting what we call uncomfortably narrow about your focus. Like in those early stages, it's like, what is, yeah. what is the one customer I'm going to start with look like? And that's okay. So deep customer empathy. Number two is going broad to go narrow, um, which is, you know, exploring lots of different possible solutions, exploring lots of different ideas, um, and then uh, very explicitly narrowing those, narrowing that field of opportunities down into, you know, the one that you're going to move forward with, knowing that you can always go back to any of the other hundred that you already generated. If this one doesn't work out, but uh, going broad to go narrow. So making sure that we're not just exploring the easiest idea, but exploring lots of different possibilities, and lots of different solutions, et cetera. Substantiated by rapid experimentation. Exactly, exactly. And so rapid experimentation is how do you take that really big, crazy, audacious goal and break it down into tiny little pieces that you can go and apply the yeah. scientific to and um, just in, in good sort of lean startup fashion, right? What are, what are our leap of faith assumptions? What are, what are the experiments that we need to go run against each of those assumptions to prove or disprove? So my story there about the sales team, they had a few assumptions. This will cannibalize the existing licensing. Um, this is net yeah. positive. This is like they had a handful of different assumptions and those were what they tested during those three days. Gosh, this um, is so fascinating to me, Aaron. I, lo I love it. I mean, as a CX leader who does not excel in the area of design thinking, I mean, what, what advice would you give to somebody like me who wants to get better, become more of an analyst thinker like you? Uh, that, that could be able to dream up some things like this. I mean, how, how would I educate myself? Uh, Education-wise, there there are a lot of opportunities. So there's um, there's tons of you know online courses around design thinking, um, around lean startup, around these principles. Um, some some that are free. You know, there's YouTube videos, um, etc. And then. Uh, like as an example, the the Stanford uh, Stanford D School, um, you can go and take a, a multi-day uh, design thinking course there, um, which is absolutely yes. incredible. Uh, it uh, we haven't done it as much lately, but there's been plenty of times also where uh, Intuit and I know from my consulting days, other companies as well, where they'll actually open up for external folks to come and join um, sessions. All they're doing internally <laughs> as well, like we we've. Yeah. Uh, we've done some, um, I'm, I'm spacing the name of the, of the healthcare organization, uh, Kaiser, Kaiser Permanente. Um, they've got an amazing innovation center out in Oakland, but literally like it's a, uh, you can move the walls of the hospital. Um, you can rearrange the rooms for experiments. Uh, like it's a whole, a whole design thinking hospital. It's amazing. Um, but like we did collaborative sessions with, with, with some of their folks. Um, where we'd send folks over to, you know, that, that ex those external perspectives can be super valuable, um, in, yeah. in any organization work. And so, um, we did a lot of swapping between folks and those kinds of things. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Ton tons of books, tons of free videos, uh, paid courses and, um, collaboration with other organizations. Are probably the 
Yeah, but I think I mean the the challenge to us as as CX leaders is is to have that bit of courage, you know, in this area and and to to be able to shatter the status quo uh, to yeah. to find these opportunities that that are going to lead to rapid experimentation and this design for delight idea. Uh, but as far as like getting started, Aaron, and, and being able to assess, d- does our culture have the ability to sustain this this methodology yet? Uh, what, what advice would you give to an organization who's hungry for this, but needs yeah. to know if, if they could actually do it? Yeah. So the the things that really, I think the foundation that enabled us to to drive this impact so quickly was number one, there were already a hundred plus innovation catalysts across into it. And so uh, many of them were able to, to jump in and help us at those different locations. Um, I mm. think if just been, it's just been Ben and I that, uh, we probably wouldn't have been able to handle that that sort of level of of teams. Um, the second thing is that um, at that point in time, the CEO had bought copies of the Lean Startup book um, and had Eric Reese come in and speak a couple times. And he wow. had given copies of that book out to his leadership team. And so, uh, so we piggybacked on that directly. Like liter- literally the reason the CEO More. came to one of the events is I was like, hey, I saw you holding up the Lean Startup book. We're doing this event focused on Lean Startup. Would you come be a judge, come be a scientist? Um, and so yeah. so we were able to kind of connect the dots around that very directly. Smart and, and super helpful. And then number three was that Intuit had uh, what was called unstructured time or innovation time, um, where every employee was given 10% of their time to work on things outside of their core work. Uh, and so... We literally in the marketing for this to employees, we would say, "Hey, save up your save up your unstructured time for three weeks, um, and come to this three day event, um, and you're going to be bringing a real project from your work." Um, and so uh, then, then when they're talking to their boss and trying to get approval to come spend three days on it, it's very easy. It's, wow. I'm spending I'm spending my innovation days from this from this month, and I'm working on real stuff for our team, and so it made it uh, much easier. Yeah, I mean that's it's just amazing how much how much freedom could come from those really intelligent surrounding processes. Uh, otherwise, you know, it'd, it'd be almost impossible to to be able to substantiate uh, something like what you've created here. But th- those small foundational things uh, were really created the incubator for this to be possible. Uh, that that's awesome to hear, and and that is a great book. I actually did read that a few years ago, and I, I'm gonna have to dust that one back off because it, uh, it definitely inspired me and challenged me to, to think a little bit differently about the things going on around me. It really pushed into it forward from a, from an experimentation perspective. Um, our experiments got much smaller and much faster, but, uh, which was a huge, huge positive impact from, from Eric's work. Cool. So Aaron, one last question for you as we kind of wrap up here. Would, would love to know, I mean, there's this sentiment that's in the space and, and it's real. It's not just a sentiment, but the idea that, that so many CX leaders are being asked to do more with less. Um, th- this is something that you and I talked a, a little bit about uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you had some thoughts on this. What what encouragement or counsel would you provide to that CX leader? Yeah, it's, it's times are tough right now. There many organizations that are going through layoffs, uh, really hard to get talent. Like there's, yeah. Every, everybody's in that that pressure cooker of trying to do more with less. Um, I think it's really about 
narrowing your focus to, to really thing, things that are really English. things that are really going to drive impact for your business. Um, and trying to cut out the rest of it. Uh, and I had, and I had my, um, my innovation um, one of the, one of the sort of dip your toe in the water engagement would be, um, we take an existing, an existing agile team. It doesn't have to be an agile team. It could be, it could be anybody, but, uh, we called it a, uh, a backlog cleanup. Um, and what we would do is, um, we would take the top, top items from the team's backlog, um, and, team would get together for two or three days um, through, a, through a structured workshop that we put together. We'd grab the top item off the backlog and we'd go and interview the target customers for that item. Um, maybe go mm. and do the deep customer work with those customers to understand does this item that's at the top of the backlog actually solve a pain point that the customer cares about? So it could be this could be a product, uh, an external customer, or this could be an internal IT team where the work they're doing is focused on an internal customer. It doesn't matter. Mm. Go figure out, does this, does this thing that we're about to build actually create positive impact for our customer? And run a handful of small experiments against it um, and, and prove with behavioral evidence that it drives, that if you build this, that the customer will actually use it, that it will drive mm. the impact factor to reduce some of the risk around that item. Um, and well, basically, you, you quickly as a team, you go through your top few backlog items. You kind of rapidly, yeah. you're just trying to clean a little bit of data from each one of them to say, like, mm -hmm. yes, this one should still be at the top, or uh, yes, it should be at the top, but like these three features, we could actually pull out, we could shrink it. Um, and what, what we saw from that kind of work was in most cases, teams were able to shrink their backlog by about half. Um, well, and, and, and of course, things get reprioritized re and shifted. Things um, just in inside large organizations, we end up with so many extra things that we aspire to do. But like, when you have to do more with less, it's really about being hyper focused and and making sure that the the highest impact items are the ones you're spending the time on. Because um, mm. the market changes, the what customers need shifts. Uh, the uh, your business strategy changes and, and that stuff is happening every single day. So regardless of how great you are at keeping your backlogs clean and knowing what's going on, things do shift. Um, and so um, I think just being hyper-focused on, you know, doing, doing the most important things and you're never going to be able to get to all of it. So don't, don't even worry about it. <laughs> like if you can get the high impact stuff, then you're in a great spot. Um, yeah. So, um, focus, 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 focus. I had a mentor uh, tell me at one point, shout out to Mar Marshall Martin. He's like, Nate, I need you to develop the laser focus of an Olympic athlete. Cause I was kind of all over the place. So I uh, certainly agreed with that. One thing I love about what you just stated, Aaron, was the fact that as you did these AB tests, these, these rapid experimentations to really be able to develop that focus and know what are the things that are going to have the biggest positive impact on the lives of our customers you didn't substantiate or validate through some of the traditional CX metrics that maybe we depend upon a little too much, perhaps. Uh, instead, you were looking at behavioral uh, outcomes from, from the customers themselves. This is what actually resulted in the customer's behavior or their mentality that can allow us to know, 
this is going to make their lives better. T- tell us a little bit more about that behavior, behavioral analysis. Yeah, it's a, it's um, it's really as a result of the experiments, right? So if you if you going back to my lean starting example, where um, the initial assumption we were trying to test was that employees would even be interested in participating. Will will employees participate in this event, right? And so we could ask them. Um, hey, do you, if we had this thing, would you participate in it? But humans can't predict the future. Um, yeah, exactly. Humans can't predict the future. They make stuff up. Um, and not because they're trying to be, you know, malicious or anything like that. It's just how we are. <laughs> We're doing our best to try to help the other person out. Yeah. You, you're going to make this yeah. thing. Yeah. I probably would come. Um, sure. uh, or they give you the, like, would you refer yeah, a friend or family member to use this product? Sure. <laughs> exactly. Not good for me, but great for my uncle. Um, Anyway, so so like you um so I can get some of that, some of that, and that tells me if I'm headed in the right direction. But yeah. when I really know is when there's butts in the seats in that room. Um, and that's the only time I'm gonna know. So how do I as quickly as possible get one butt in a seat? Like mm. that's what that's what yes. Right? And so yes, yeah. you'll get to the hundred eventually, but like if you can't get one, then the hundred doesn't matter. So so anyway, so the so so the behavioral evidence is really for each of those assumptions that you're looking at, asking yourself, what is the behavior I need to see from my customer or from the stakeholder that's doing that I'm engaging with? What's the behavior yeah. I need to see that will tell me that this thing is true or not? And now you've got the numerical data. You're like, okay, I engaged with five customers and two of them actually did it and three didn't. And then you apply the deep customer empathy engaging with those same customers and understanding why they did or why they did not exhibit that behavior. Um, and the yeah. combination of the, the numerical data plus the insights that you glean from the interactions with them one-on-one, that really lets Love you go for head in the right direction. Um, gosh. So uh, you can take any, any problem that you're trying to solve and sort of break it down into small little pieces um, and generate behavioral evidence. And then now when you're trying to convince your boss to come and do this thing, and they go, I don't think that would work. You go, well, I tried with five people and it did work. Um, I'm sorry, but it did. <laughs> so like, yeah, let's, can we try 10? <laughs> I, not, not a lot, but um, just a great lesson there. Just, just, I mean, in terms of, it, it's so hard right now for most CX leaders to demonstrate the ROI of their work. I, I think, Aaron, what you're saying is a huge reason why is because we almost set ourselves up to fail in this area. Because we're not giving ourselves chances early in the experimentation process to show observable behaviors that, that we can validate and say, look, it is working. Instead, we're painting this picture of these hypothetical metrics way into the future. We're, we're trying to earn the, this, this massive adjustment in, in customer loyalty or share of wallet or customer lifetime value, which are great metrics. Those are great metrics. But it's so far in the future that we're going to impact those realistically as CX professionals, we got to have some of these these just common sense milestones in between that can earn uh, earn us the ability to keep doing the work. Exactly right. Yeah, it's the le- leading leading versus lagging indicators, right? Those uh, net promoter score is is uh, is in in a lot of cases, you know, maybe at best an annually measured type indicator. You've got to right. like it at what are the what are the behaviors along the way? What are the experiences along the way that the customer has to has to be a part of that that caused them to do that um 
And then I can very easily, I can go experiment with one customers. Like, Ooh, I got a few of them to do this behavior that we were trying to get at, like driving them back. And then you keep scaling it up as it works. You keep scaling it up. And eventually you get to having statistical significance around your experiments. Um, yep. But the, you know, large organizations are optimized for handling millions and millions of customers at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. And so you, you do have this sort of organizational gravity or pull towards like, ooh, that experiment with only five customers, can I trust that? Um, that's, that's a really small number of customers. And, and that's absolutely true. You, you should not jump from an experiment with five customers to an experiment with five million customers. Stepping stones. <laughs> and what I saw with organization after organization is because we're set up at a large scale, there's already this sort of mindset or this gravity thinking about it has to be an experiment at scale. Um, but yep. You shouldn't think that way until you've got a bunch of proof that the small stuff works. And you're like, now we can run the experiment with 5 million because we just saw it work with 2 million. So low risk, it's not going to screw up the company. Etc. Um, but you have to be very methodical about getting from the one customer to the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Well, smart stuff, Aaron. I mean, this has been so challenging, so helpful. Uh, we talk about on the Experience Matters podcast all the time the idea of awakening curiosity. I think you've just done that for for so many of us. So we're we're very grateful to you. Uh, thank you to Intuit as well. You've been an, an incredible partner for Arise. We absolutely love working with your organization. It's been such a good partnership. So. Uh, huge cheers to that. And, uh, Aaron, uh, any, any closing thoughts here? Anything you want to say on, on the way out the door? Um, yeah, one of the things that you asked me to, to, to think about in advance of this was, was really around what I'm excited about. Uh, mm. and, uh, our CEO yesterday during, during our company all hands, um, as it's, we're celebrating our 40th or 40th congratulations birthday. i guess it's a birthday i don't know um <laughs> anyway uh he talked about the fact that um that we're running somewhere in the ballpark of like three million machine learning predictions per holy hell um and and actually the in into it uh, i've been back into it this time around for, for just over two years uh, and and into its focus on machine learning and AI is one of the primary reasons that I wanted to wanted to back into it. Um, but but it's so interesting seeing the interplay of of innovation and CX and these other kinds of things with the machine learning. Um, Indeed. And so, you know, getting back to the behavioral experiments we were talking about and those kinds of things. Imagine imagine this world where. You can go and run a behavioral experiment with your customers um, and then very rapidly be able to build machine learning predictions that help, you know, help uh, keep, keep whatever that change is that you put in place consistent with the rest of your customers going forward and being able to yeah. create, create significantly more value for your customers in significantly less time. Um, so I think it's a really like just an amazing moment that we're in. Um, the uh, the machines aren't going to be able to do deep customer empathy for for many many years. Um, so we've got a we've got a we've got an amazing place runway transition. Uh, 
Love it. Yeah, that's uh, certainly exciting times for sure. It's going to lead to even more rapid experimentation, uh, the capabilities that we have through these amazing tools. And I, I'm especially excited what we can do in this area of voice of customer, just understanding the thoughts and perceptions of our customers so much better and faster at scale, being able to take real insights uh, just so much more intelligently than what we've done before. So I am personally very excited for this revolution we're in. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this awesome episode with Aaron from Intuit. And of course, as always, make experiences that matter. Thank you all. 